0: Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio broadcasts from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. We Dig Plants is produced and engineered by Jack Inslee. We are Groundworks, Inc. I am Alice Marcus Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we design, install, and maintain gardens in and around New York City. Um, We have two local guests today from Park Slope, Brooklyn. We have Kim Mayer and Claudia Joseph from the Old Stone House, um, which is a really great historic site. And they're going to talk about the history of the house and the garden um, and uh, just tell us a little bit about what Brooklyn used to be like when it was a farmland. Um, The story... Of this house is very intimately involved with a very important revolutionary battle, and it was really center stage um, for the face of an extremely bloody massacre. But we're going to talk today about the original mission of the house and Dutch life um, in the mid to late 1600s. The house was built in 1699 by a Dutch immigrant, Klaus. Aronson? Is that right? Klaus Aronson vector vector Okay. Um, and, and it sits, the house is located in Park Slope at Fifth Avenue and Third Street. And at the time, the house was located within the old town of Brooklyn, if I'm pronouncing that Somewhere.
1: Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> Broken land. That's how my ancestors pronounced it. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't Dutch, though. <laughs> this, um,
0: this area of Brooklyn was founded by the Dutch um, and it was under English control at that time until the late 17th century. So, welcome, Kim and Claudia. Thank you for joining us. It's really fun to be here. Thank Great adventure so today. Yes. <laughs> snowy, snowy day. So, Kim is the executive director of the house, and Claudia is the gardener extraordinaire. Um, I visited this house, I first got familiar with this house, although I, I live very close to it. Um, but I visited this past October, and I was so excited. Um, I went with my friend Tricia, who's a landscape architect for the Parks Department. She's actually redesigning the park um, where the house sits. Um, and when we approached the, the house, um, there was an exhibit and an event going on called Farm City, Brooklyn Utopias. So, of course, I was so excited because here's all my worlds colliding um, and this exhibit is an annual exhibit and, and an event series founded in 2009 by Catherine Grissel, um, in which artists consider differing visions of an ideal city um through the concrete example of Brooklyn. Farm City is a broad-based, long-term action research project um, launched by Derek Denkla that aims to engage public enthusiasm for environmental change um, through collaborations between arts and urban agriculture. So as I entered into this event and and this house, I I walked through the split rail fence Um, I see the lab lab bean. So there's this like farm event going on. There's this historic house that Carmen and I just are always spending time talking about these Dutch farmhouses and what Brooklyn used to be like. So we're really excited to have you guys here. So one quick thing about the lab lab bean and then I'm going to start talking with you guys. So I walk up to the house and I see this lab lab bean, this beautiful purple bean kind of spiraling up the mailbox and I zone in because I'm like oh my god look look at this you know it's so beautiful and to me it's really the symbol of elegant gardening it's reminiscent of Thomas Jefferson's vegetable garden and I knew I was in a good place because here's the symbol um uh, and and this interplay of
1: house and history and Elegance, and it's not a Parks Department building. It's a real no. no.
2: It's a Parks Department, but I mean, it's not to that. It's not your typical
1: Parks Department building. (laughs) No, Uh, no no, uh, offense to the Olmsted brothers, (laughs) Um, but it is. It was not a park. It was a functioning. That's what's so fascinating to me about it. It was a functioning farmhouse, and I love to hear i'd love to hear about that i love i love that there's still one left you know a few left in brooklyn actually so kim and
0: claudia tell us about the house and the garden and what was life like when it was truly a farmhouse and not a parks department building
2: (laughs) (laughs) in a nutshell well it it is still a parks department building uh the building that's there now is actually a robert moses building Mm -hmm. and it was built in the 1930s uh during moses's uh uh, sort of rain of creating public <laughs> That's recreation. a good word, <laughs> <Rain>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, but the house is very reminiscent of the original building. It's uh, looks somewhat like an Amsterdam townhouse mm-hmm. long and narrow. Uh, it's about a hundred feet from its original location. The exterior of the building is built with the original stones. Mm -hmm. So you have these great, uh, sort of, tumbled boulders and really great brickwork under the eaves, and uh, this wrought iron 1699 uh, that creates the roof supports when you look at the ends of the building. And the Vecta family, when they built the house, put it in a great location. It was at the intersection of the Port and Gowanus Roads, Uh uh, the main east west and north south roads at the time. Uh, The Port Road was more or less where First Street is. and uh, the Gowanus Road ran parallel pretty much to 3rd and 5th Avenues. Mm-hmm. And it was right along the shores of the Gowanus Creek, which was an incredibly rich estuary area. You know, no Superfund site there. No, not yet. And uh, <laughs> it was uh, an amazing place to have a farm, uh, about 125 acres, I think, Claudia. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And what were they farming? What was the dominant. Well,
2: we I mean, was it a, like a family? It was a family farm. Okay. Uh, the Vex had about three generations of family living together in the house. They had some indentured servants. They had slaves. Uh-huh. Uh, Brooklyn was a very large slaveholding community because mm-hmm. it was the agricultural breadbasket of, of the area. It was right. really a rich yeah. agricultural we area. We always talk about that. Yeah. yeah it's an amazing thing uh, to think that hidden underneath this extreme urban environment was this very, very rich, beautiful farmland, really peopled by 270 families uh-huh. uh, that created this amazing resource. Um, but in terms of what they actually grew, we don't have a lot of primary source documentation, but maybe Claudia will talk a little bit about uh, colonial planting and the kinds of things you might have found on site.
3: I believe all the uh, colonists at the early time that cheap uh, shepherd Keeping was very popular to keep Uh shape, and that was a primary uh, need for clothing, and that flax also Uh was a primary crop that um, they had to have Uh uh, for their everyday life. I believe corn was introduced very early, Uh and they had to have all their medicinal cabinet. They must have foraged the native plants in the area Mm -hmm. and also brought with them many of their well-loved plants from home.
0: Yeah, when I visited, I saw you had the Three Sisters um, display going on.
3: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. We try to keep that history moving forward. Well, the- That's a good combination for a number of reasons. They used sure. it because it's very effective and supplies um, all of their dietary needs while the plants also are working very well together.
2: hmm hmm And we also know the Vex uh, had a pear orchard because on the gruesome side, uh, a few years later, one of the cortelius, uh Committed suicide by hanging himself from one of the pear trees. Oh, I did. On their know property. <clears throat> wow. On their property. Yeah, you know, life was hard. Yeah. And so it's yeah. one of those stories that comes down through us that actually is documented, unlike so much of their life. Ooh. Yeah. So.
1: Well, I always wonder um, about what our area would have been like if it had remained Dutch and New Amsterdam instead of becoming English, you know, because the Dutch had such a great. Uh, horticultural and gardening culture and history, you know?
2: It's an interesting question. Uh, we might have had more gardens, but I think business would have been the driver. The mm-hmm. Dutch were very yeah. good business people. Um, the well, Vex had set up a series of canals to get themselves into market. Uh, it was yeah. really their primary motivator to be so close to the shore.
0: I read a quote once where they were, it was exactly about that, Carmen. And they were talking about if the Dutch had stayed here and continued. You know, their kind of rain, um, uh, we would have been, we wouldn't have died from so many diseases because they were much better farmers than the English, English were, <laughs> and they were more prepared to come to a farming or a, a land where they could farm rather than the English,
2: who just kind of came here more for religious purposes. But in New York, you know, the Dutch uh, were in charge. And I think mm-hmm. that what made it difficult, particularly after the Revolutionary War, is that the entire area was completely denuded. Uh, the British really just took it back to nothing to right. take all of the resources they could from the from the New York area, all the way out to Long Island.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, that would be a good exhibit at some point too (laughs) yes yes. putting
1: it out there
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) we have a temporary space upstairs at the old stone house (laughs)
0: exactly so how does the work of the garden claudia aid in
3: the educational mission
0: of the house
3: the educational mission is um, very much based on inquiry and learning with hands-on experience Mm -hmm. so the gardens are a fabulous tool For people to explore the history directly. Uh Um, The children, we have a second grade program Uh where the children are turned loose in the landscape to find the medicinal plants that the colonists would have used. Uh And uh, it's really a moment of joy when Uh they go out on their scavenger hunt. And uh, they're very excited when they find the plants and draw them and connect with them, that they're developing a relationship with the landscape, um, which I think is very important at that age. Yeah, to, and for city kids. To be connected yeah. and not think of plants as just something that fills a space. Exactly. They, they have a function, uh, they, we have a relationship, and
2: uh, there's a benefit. And it really operates on two levels. Uh, You know, we're educating children, but we're also educating adults. Mm -hmm. And Claudia has a few programs coming up that really get at that adult education aspect of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, tell us about those. Good. Um,
3: I teach a field called permaculture, Uh which is an environmental field uh, design. And it is a whole systems study. Uh, So... And you actually worked with Alice Waters, is that right? I worked with her out in in California (laughs) California. a little bit. I did go to the edible Uh schoolyard, and that was a wonderful learning experience to have uh, two acres with children running loose. Yeah. It was really exciting. and. Um, so we uh, the job I did there was to install a creek bed actually. So that's a uh, permaculture thing where you get out your A-frame and you find where the contour of the land is and you look at the flow and um, can do something uh-huh. uh, like that to make a water that re- uh, a ditch that retains water. So are you
0: able to do that? with regard to the Gowanus and, and where you're located
3: on site? Well, in the education that I do, we look at the entire watershed, mm-hmm. and we look at the way water is held in the land, that we the goal is to capture all of the water. Uh, modern engineering teaches us to uh, direct the water off the property, mm-hmm. but historical... Farming teaches us to keep Keep the water water. on (laughs) the property, You don't want to pay for it. (laughs) So we don't want it going down the sewer and out into the guanus, right? right. So we're trying to keep every drop of water we can. And we do that with the contour of the garden, that it's not linear-based gardening, which is not very Dutch. We do have some Dutch gardens that are very linear. Mm -hmm. And then the farm garden is a more naturalized um, series of beds that helps keep the water... um, In the slope, so we don't lose it. Right. And um, we do a variety of educating with the permaculture. It's all about our uh, systems, our major systems that support us, uh, shelter, economic systems, social systems, barter, um, you know, medicine, health, health. Food, Mm -hmm. food is the big one. Food, we love food. Yeah, (laughs) there's a big emphasis on growing and preserving food, Mm -hmm. and uh, and relation to our community. That how do we um, make all this work, especially during the times you know that we're experiencing. So, um, history can teach us a lot of lessons.
0: That's what's so great about what you all are doing. Because it doesn't have to remain in the history.
2: It is very applicable for the future. Right. It's not static. And as a, a public history site, permaculture is really something that gives uh, the most important temporary, contemporary view into the way people lived in the past. Exactly. For
1: most of our human history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know. And what I like about education in context is it, the uh, obviously the Brooklyn Botanic Garden has lots of children's education, but it's a very different kind of institution. I think in some ways this house it can make it much more personal. You can really talk about a family and how they lived. Um, a recently, um, last fall, I took my son to Colonial Williamsburg. Mm. And that's, of course, like on a grand scale. The Rockefellers you know, can do so much. Yeah, when you have yeah. that much money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was very interesting. You know, he, of course, is studying history. He's in junior high. But to to live it, you know, one of the things that I had him do was they have various programs. And one of the things was you you join a regiment and you march in it. And, you know, you can talk all about what it's like to be a soldier in the Revolutionary War and what it's, but to actually have to stand out there in the cold for two hours and follow orders, it was a very different experience. I think he got a lot more out of it than he would have, you know, reading about it
2: you know. It's true. My mom was always happy to point out that I lived at Plymouth Plantation for a week when I was in junior high school and as much as I hated it, it's obviously colored my world. Yes,
0: (laughs) here you are. So who knows, maybe there's hope for Max. (laughs) Well, we have to take a break um, and uh, we'll be right back. Hang on. Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants and the Heritage Radio Network. That was a little uh, hip-hop Brooklyn Dutch music. <laughs> it's called
1: Original Dutch Sound. <laughs> thought it might be appropriate. That's really good, <laughs> that was Appropriate, since we're talking with uh, Kim Meyer and Claudia Joseph about the old stone house in Brooklyn and the days of Brooklyn as a, a farming community. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the actual battle week and how the house and gardens must have been ruined um, during that period, how the land and and hope suffer at the sake of democracy. Tell me a little bit about what happened, historically speaking, to the land then.
2: Sure. The Battle of Brooklyn, sometimes known as the Battle of Long Island, uh, took place on August 27, 1776. It was the first official battle fought by the United States Army, and uh, it was over in six hours. Uh, Wow. Yeah, amazing and very bloody. Uh, The British had come uh, to New York thinking that they would quell the rebellion within five days. um, But due to weather and uh, perhaps the Howe brothers' reticence to actually really take a stand the Americans were able to pull themselves together and escape across the East River and go on to finish fighting a war that the British never thought that they would uh, be engaged in for seven years. Right. So the house was really uh, the nadir of the battle. If you look at a map, uh, you can see that the British landed out by the Verrazano, uh, Cornwallis and Grant went around to Bedford with the bulk of the army, how came along the Gowanus Road, and then there was an, uh, another series of regiments that came down from Prospect Park, and those three groupings of uh of soldiers ended up at the house so there was this enormous skirmish uh, like three thousand soldiers against 400 americans right who were led by uh, a general named william alexander who called himself lord sterling he's a whole other story he's a really great character um but the landscape around the house was seriously disturbed um our our knowledge is that the Vex were living there at the time of the battle. Who knows where they were actually during the battle itself. Uh, but they went on to continue farming the landscape, uh, but sold the house to the Cortellew family in 1778. Okay. Um, one of the great mysteries is what happened to all of the dead, uh, the Maryland right. soldiers that, uh, that, that were sacrificed. themselves yeah. into the sacrifice. And so there are a couple of different theories. One is that they're buried in a, a specific burial spot on 3rd Avenue between 7th and 8th Streets that's identified on what's called the Fields Map. Uh, with an oval meant to create a more permanent memorial. And then there's the other theory that the British had a tendency to bury traitors where they lay, and so it may very well be that the remains of the battle really exist under the staples on 4th Avenue. Uh huh.
0: Oh my God. I, I, <laughs> I grew up as a kid touring Civil War battlefields. I lived in Virginia, and my father took me, we lived very near to the Shenandoah Valley, and I was at Gettysburg, and the Battle of Vicksburg and I was all <laughs> up and down that learning you know and recreating my father was one of those like recreationist civil war
2: reenactor Re- yeah. no he wasn't that um, not, he
0: wasn't he wasn't getting dressed up, nutty, up. No. But, but we <laughs> had certainly had the tours and the books mm-hmm. and the like No, we're going and you're going to stand in this field and imagine what it's like. And I used to have nightmares. I would come home from these battlefields and I always wanted to go. And my mom was like, "You stop, you know, because I would stand in this field and I would think, this used to be a farm. And now there's spirits here, you know, and that's what I kind of felt like when I walked into to the stone house but then i saw that lab lab bean and i knew i was in good company and things are growing and
2: thriving yeah, you know I and mean, it's really part of the continuum the house has been at the center of brooklyn history since 1699 and so everything that ebbs and flows in the environment has happened around it from you know the original settlement to the battle to industrialization because it's so close to uh, the Gowanus, which is one of the Greatest industrial sites in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was central to Edwin Litchfield's development plans for Park Slope. Right. Uh, the reason the house was buried, the original house was buried, is because Litchfield used it as a fill site when he was developing what we know today as Brownstone Park Slope.
0: Oh, okay. Yep. Actually, Carmen's husband has a great um, joke about the Gowanus in, in its current state. He
1: calls it the Don't, don't Gowanus. Go on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's renamed a lot of the city. Oh. And that's part of it. Salt and dre- battery the tunnel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> the treasures would be really bummed about the Don't Gowanus part, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. That's how we
3: reclaim it. I have to mention that the house was, did not have that beautiful garden uh, and we started in 2005 Claudia uh-huh. and I started at the same
2: time when with Ken nothing basically came
3: <laughs> to the house, I caught word through the grapevine, I was community gardening at the Garden of Union on Union mm-hmm. Street right, a I, great garden I continue, and um That's the mother garden. Yeah, that one garden makes another. You know, exactly. This the great thing about gardening is we can share. Uh huh. And uh, And it's a great community, and lots of energy comes to support a new site. Uh, but I heard word that Kim wanted a garden, and I had gone many times because I live two blocks away. I had gone with my little girl and thought, "Oh, what a shame!" There's because I grew up in Virginia. In a, yeah, in Virginia, if there's a historic house, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> those, in a those ladies are those ladies are we taking not, it? <laughs> you would not find a blank. So. No, no. <laughs> so finding a blank was quite a mystery to me when I first came to New York yeah. to see this yeah. wonderful little house uh-huh. and no context. So, for five years, we've been creating context for the house, and it's been quite an adventure and really fun because
2: Kim is such a great director. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Claudia is a really knowledgeable gardener, and just, it's so, it's created a more evocative space, which I think for a history site, you really need to be able to see what might have been exactly. and that wasn't possible before and with Trish's work on the park renovation uh-huh. it's going to take us to another step I mean we'll still be a historic site in the middle of uh, a really great intense recreation area uh-huh. but uh, we'll have much better garden sites and all of the brick and chain link fence that's been there since the 1930s is going to go away and
0: and I heard you guys are putting in a
1: split rail I'm a traditional in split in rail a
2: traditional split rail great. that's um,
1: astounding it's very un-New re- York City parks and parks yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Trish!
2: <laughs> so, but actually, the the post and rail came because Claudia started uh, started that. We had a sort of an unprotected area on uh, the South Garden, which used to be a dog run, which mm-hmm. is one of the great, amazing uh, transformations. And uh, so we took out the chain link that was there and Claudia and one of her first permaculture classes did yeoman's work putting in a split rail because you can imagine when you're digging down uh, in New York City urban area well yeah. we all know that what yeah. do you find what do you find hopefully you don't find any
0: of those soldiers but you never know not far <laughs> enough you have to yeah. go down about
2: 15 feet I yeah. think yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Um, so Claudia tell us some things that you grow that you love in the garden
3: oh boy There's so many great things to grow here. Uh, uh, There are a lot of wonderful uh, berries that we grow that are native because Mm -hmm. the usefulness of the landscape is based on food, medicine, craft, and wildlife habitat. Um, so I love winterberry. Mm-hmm. I love snowberry, mm-hmm. uh, Juneberry. You know, all the berry-yielding natives are wonderful landscape plants um, because of their resilience and their performance. You right, know? right. Yeah, and they're offering um, a form, a history, and a habitat that our hope is that instead of blackbirds and starlings and pigeons and sparrows that we'll have Uh, real birds. And we have started getting woodpeckers and kinglets and the occasional wood thrush during migration. Mm -hmm. And it's really lovely and I think fun for everyone to see a a pretty little songbird in the landscape. Yeah. So that's uh, one of the uh, themes behind our foundation plantings.
0: Okay. And then Mm -hmm. what what about for the future? Are you going to ever would you ever want to do like a traditional kitchen garden? Or is that too kind of Planned and programmatic No,
3: we have many, many aspects of the kitchen garden in place already We have uh, dozens of herbs Mm -hmm. uh, For culinary and medicinal use Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in the new garden We had, uh, we just got the big space that actually had sun So Mm -hmm. vegetable production went up quite a bit this year We had a lot of cabbage, kale, collards Uh, Beans. We had uh, a little Three Sisters thing going on, Uh, some canteen gourds, Mm -hmm. you know, useful items that maybe are a little uh, different than what uh, you see in a standard uh, food garden, but Uh not that far off.
0: Yeah, right, because it is about utility. So those gourds and, you know, everything is used. Every single part and parcel of the land is used. Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. Yes.
2: And we have a great project coming up uh, starting the spring with Brooklyn School of Inquiry that's going to um, uh, be a really focused three sisters gardening project. And the kids are going to come work on the site and uh, we'll probably do some maintenance over the summer and they'll continue in the fall to come back for the harvest. Uh So our goal is to create an ever more sort of uh, engaged garden program at the house the school gardening movement is so strong right now and so many people are interested right. in it but yeah. not every school is able to have a garden on site mm-hmm. and so we feel like our role is really to provide a space where teachers can come with their class mm-hmm. and have that hands-on experience at the house yeah and claudia's made that possible yeah and
3: we're having a lovely event for teachers on february 12th uh the um uft educating tomorrow division is going to be bringing some teachers in and we'll be working with them to help facilitate their planning for school gardens that many teachers would like to garden with the children but don't have the experience and they're intimidated and we would like to do Often, that outreach and, yeah. and help them make it possible and have them feel comfortable and happy yeah and um, see the resources that workload right, right? yeah Sarah that's loves. really
1: good i'd like to send some i'm trying to start a project at my son's junior high they have an actual greenhouse a, an education sized Greenhouse on site He's at um, uh, Bay Academy In Sheepshead Bay And it's very difficult Um, One of One of my frustrations Is they They say they want to do it But then they never really Can commit to the time And it's such a huge Bureaucratic process to go through all the layers you know to just do something as simple as start seeds you know that's a whole other conversation yeah you know so I might need you Claudia to come down
3: yeah absolutely
1: (laughs) help cut through that red tape (laughs) I
3: love encouraging um staff to you know just taking on once yeah. the structure is there
1: it is not so hard no and they have the, the, the space program. like you were saying it's very rare that a school has the space to have they have a whole courtyard with raised beds that could be food gardens the greenhouse can be you know the place to start things but they just don't have it's sort of not organized and and they're also as you were saying afraid of taking on too much more because they're already so overwhelmed with work you know
2: mm-hmm. it really has to fit into the curriculum and i yeah. think Uh, the way that the Department of Education has the system set up. It's so testing-based, especially in middle school. It makes it very challenging to get out of the classroom and to do things that are sort of off the standard curriculum. So anything we can do to help with that. And I think the more support the teachers have to do that, exactly. The happier everyone will be. Yeah. And that's
0: what's so important about community. And, you know, that's why we wanted to have you on the station and to get the message out for what you all are doing at the house. And it's really a beautiful great little site in, in Parks Slope, Brooklyn, and I really encourage everyone to come out.
1: Yeah, I don't think enough people know about it, because, uh, you know, yeah. it seems like I said, like a, or like a more typical park, you know, and I don't think people yeah. realize the historic importance of what happened there, and also what's happening now, and what's going to happen in the future.
0: Well, I think um, that that's actually a great end to, or note to kind of end on, because Um, there is this master plan for redesign. Can you talk a bit about that? And then, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap things up, but let's just talk about what the landscape and house is going to evolve into.
2: Sure. Uh, The Stone House is part of the Historic House Trust of New York City, and we have a great relationship with Brooklyn Parks. We're really fortunate um, in that... have just been very open to the kind of work that we've been trying to do the last six years. Uh, it's been open to the public since 1997, but we're finally at a point institutionally where we have A board that's very visionary and forward-thinking, and uh, support from parks, and really good expertise available to us through Claudia, and uh, we've gotten some funding from the JM Kaplan Fund to do a set of community listening sessions and come up with a new um, renovation plan for the park. And so it takes quite a bit of time from Uh the beginning of the idea to the actual. Uh, fruition of the plan, but we expect by uh, spring, early summer of 2012 that we'll have this beautiful new playground area with one main path leading to the house, uh, some interpretation out on the site, and it'll just be an even more thriving uh, community space than it's been, and it'll let us do the kind of public history programming that we've wanted to do for so long and really haven't been able to do.
0: Right, right. And um I overheard you and Trish talking about some trees. Are there going to be some? There's some special trees, I guess, from the history of um, the land. I
2: think we're we're talking about putting in some. She went with some stuff. natives. Some, some natives:
3: Staghorn uh, sumac, and oh, great, okay. beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and I think a lot of blueberry. Great, the bush blueberry. Great, right? So she's continuing the useful theme, which is Good. really great. That. Uh, we got on the same page with Parks Department. Yeah, and it's, that's, really it's nice. a great
0: union. It's a really great union. So, well, thank you all for joining us thank and telling us about us. the house and the gardens. And everybody, please go visit the Old Stone House um, in Park Slope, 5th Avenue and 3rd Street in the J.J.
2: Byrne Park. Uh, Washington Park J.J. Byrne Playground. Okay. And we have all our events on our website, theoldstonehouse.org. We're going to uh, post a link, exactly. Thank you so, so thank much. you
1: so much. Thanks for listening to We Dig Plants. Heritage See you in the Radio garden. Network. Thanks.